first lockdown, I went and hid under a rock for about a week until I figured out what was happening. And then for many people, it was kind of the scramble of uncertainty. But but you went to you went to work. You created a, a community, a massive community. It's like 541,000 people at the moment. Can you talk through... Yep. Can you thought, talk through that process and what was the inspiration and what was the catalyst? Yeah, so, uh, yeah, kia ora everyone. Um, I'm Sarah. I started uh, in the second week of lockdown. Um, I think it was the Monday, second week of New Zealand's first lockdown um, back in April. A Facebook group called New Zealand Made Products at the time, um, which is now called Choice. Now, my reasoning for that was um, just like every other small business, as you say, Andre, um, as soon as lockdown hit, I lost all of my contracts overnight. Um, and my side, my small business, my side business, um, it was a event management uh, business. And so, as we know, when the restrictions were coming into place and we were gearing up for that first lockdown, um, events were kind of the first thing to go. They were the first thing on the chopping block. And so um, very quickly, essentially overnight, um, well, within 24 hours, I was receiving all of the calls that I was dreading to receive saying that your contract for this and your contract for that uh, will be postponed indefinitely, um, which was, yeah, really, really, really lame. Um, <laughs> because obviously, you know, uh, it's my business. Um, it's, it's income that I have planned and lined up for future things. Uh, as, a, as an example, I'm trying to save for my first house at the moment, trying to, um, which has been made a little bit harder with, um, with losing all of those contracts, um, which would have got me over the line as I had planned out my year, um, but did not plan for this to happen, <laughs> nor did anyone else really. Um, yeah, so... Here I was, uh, uh, first day of lockdown, or just a few days before lockdown, uh, just had all my contracts postponed indefinitely, which actually, um, some of them have come back now and said, actually, that we're not going to restart them at all. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not, I knew that was coming. Um, but yeah, um, I saw in the first week of lockdown how quickly the events industry, well, some of the events industry, was pivoting. Um, and what I mean by that is a lot of them were starting to switch to switch and like very quickly and heavily adopt like virtual events, like mm -hmm. webinars, seminars and things like that. Um, and virtual summits, um, which all seemed really exciting um, and really something that I wanted to get on board, considering, you know, I've just been impacted as well and I could easily do something in the virtual space in terms of an event. Um, so here I was trying to think of a way to secure some clients in a time like this. Um, just lost all of my contracts for physical projects and events, but maybe there was somebody out there who also wanted to pivot their events um, or their plans and shift to an online space. Um, yeah, and so I was looking around, seeing how other people were getting their business out there, realizing that people were investing in Facebook ads and Google ads. And I thought, I don't have money to do that. <laughs> I do not have the budget um, to be investing in Facebook ads and Google ads, um, which kind of sounds a bit ridiculous because, you know, it does it does pay off, I guess. Um, but as a small business, a very small business um, of one, 
um, I just don't have the budget uh, to invest in Facebook ads. And so I just, um, I just ended up setting up a Facebook group, um, thought I'd shift the narrative uh, that a lot of Facebook groups take. And what I mean by that is um, like even Facebook has created a, so, so let me give some context. When you create a Facebook group, you choose some rules Mm. Um, and one of the default rules that Facebook provides is no self-promotion. So like even then Facebook was on the no self-promotion bandwagon for uh, group spaces. And I thought, what if we just flip that narrative, uh, create a group that is purely just self-promotion. Sorry, Facebook. <laughs> Not use Facebook's um, default rule that they provide. If, and, and just for context, those are all optional as well. They're just like um, template rules that you can take from. Um yeah, so just set up a Facebook group that's purely self-promotion, go against the grain. And um, um, yeah, as we know, it took off very, very quickly. I named it New Zealand Made Products. Um, and to be totally honest with you, when I uh, made that name, it was more so just reflecting the Australian Facebook group that I had came across, Australian Made Products, but wasn't, wasn't actually um, like, I wasn't trying to set up an exclusive group for New Zealand Made Products and um, that's not what the intention was at all. Um, it was a way in which to promote or provide a platform for businesses in New Zealand, New Zealand owned and operated to promote themselves. And then very quickly, I learned that the name I had chosen, um, yeah, was kind of restricting that, um, that ability to do that. Um, yeah, so yeah, going back to your main question, second week of lockdown, Monday, 13th of um, April, must have been set up this Facebook group, New Zealand Made Products, launched it by the end of the week. Uh, I think it was sitting on 7,000 members by the end of the second week, 30,000, um, and then third, fourth week, and then it was just rolling over, rolling over. Um, yeah, and then as of today, six months later, we're on 541,000 members, about... 40 or 50,000 of those are from overseas as well. A lot of expats love the group. So, yeah, pretty crazy. <laughs> it's, it's really crazy. There's there's probably like 20 things to pull out of that. But just that pivot thing, and I know that pivot is one of those words from this year, but no, no, like you didn't you didn't just pivot into uh, into like the digital version of, of uh, the event space and what you were doing. You like pivoted into a whole other universe and created this uh, this other opportunity. Has that kind of changed? Like, has that shifted your goals for this year and your priorities and your focus? Yeah, yeah, I shifted into a whole different universe. <laughs> That's, yeah, absolutely. Like, um, yeah, as you say, um, and as I've been saying all year, like I couldn't have anticipated the impact that the group would have. Like here I was, um, and it kind of sounds a little bit selfish, here I was creating a group for myself to promote my own business. Um, which side note, I still haven't been able to do yet because like just been absolutely smashed, but um, yeah. Um, and then couldn't have anticipated how quickly the group would have grown, but also the huge need out there. Like, um, you know, first day of lockdown, I'm thinking, oh, I'm the only one in the boat, lost all my contracts. But then very quickly I learned mm. um, from the creation of the group that actually the group is so popular because I'm not the only one in the boat. Um, there are a whole lot of people in the same waka as me um, trying to figure out what is going on, um, but also anxiously trying to stay afloat um, and keep food food on their table and a roof over their heads um, just as much as I was. So, um, yeah, I yeah, pivoted into a different universe. 
Um, so much so that I, um, I've had to park my event business in the meantime, and um, I've had to turn the Facebook group into a business. And what I mean by that is we launched, um, I partnered with um, some really great people and we rebranded the Facebook group from New Zealand Made Products to Choice. Um, and with that rebrand, we launched a e-commerce platform or website called choice.co.nz um, where people can set up their, their own stores, uh, no listing, no success fees um, and start to up their digital capabilities um, and their, di their digital presence and things like that. Um, yeah, so totally thrown into the business space, but also the e-commerce e mm. space, which I don't have any prior experience in, um, as a side note. <laughs> um, and a lot of people have actually asked me, um, do you have even, um, so I get, I get mentored monthly by um, a Facebook staff member as part of a partnership I have with them. Um, and one of them actually asked me in my interview, do you have like a qualification or something in social media? Because we're just <laughs> trying to wrap our heads around the Facebook group. Um, and I was like, nope, I'm just I'm just that generation that was raised in a digital space. You know, mm -hmm. I was brought up with all of these. I'm a digital nomad, essentially. I was just brought up on all of these digital spaces. Yeah, um, can, we, can we talk about that for a moment? Because what do you think it is? What is... Because is, if even Facebook can't get their heads around like the secret to what you've done what, what what do you think it is what is is it is it some x factor have you have you kind of analyzed it yeah i've 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 thought about it quite a bit because i do get asked this question a lot why do you think it uh is is popular you know why do you think it blew up the way it did why do you think it yeah shot up um and i've thought about these things so there's a few factors that i think have come into play so obviously the first one is timing um so as we know Lockdown is a new experience for the 5 million people in New Zealand. And suddenly we're disconnected from everyone. And we're now trying to find new means or means that we have already, such as social media, to continue to stay connected with people that we would usually see in our day-to-day -day that we can no longer. So timing was a big thing. We're suddenly isolated and we're using digital means to stay connected. Um, so everyone is suddenly, well, that's an exaggeration, but there's a large number of people on social media that otherwise wouldn't have been um, prior to the lockdown. Um, so timing. And then the second one is the level of curation. So um, if you've posted on the Facebook group before, you've probably, um, you've either gotten approved or you've been declined. And if you've been declined, you, you'll find out very quickly why. Um, and that's because if you look uh, if, if you manage to find our about page of the Facebook group, um, let me know if you do, because I'm still trying to as well, you'll see our level of rules. Um, and so we take pride in having posting guidelines uh, for, yeah, we, we take pride in having posting guidelines. And essentially what that enables is a level of quality control coming through the group. So um, what I mean by that is we're not going to decline your post because, you know, maybe one of the moderators think, uh, your product's okay. We're not going to decline your product, your product, your business, because yeah, we don't, we wouldn't buy it ourselves. But uh, we will decline it because it hasn't followed a structure that we've, we essentially coin a um, a formula. So we we coin the posting guidelines a particular formula, um, in which we've seen enable businesses that have posted before become viral essentially, and so we've we've tried our best to give you like 
marketing 101 in a short like three 150 word character box <laughs> and told you how to post um, and if you can follow that we um we don't guarantee but we fingers crossed that you you'll sell out um and that it's the best way to promote your business and your products and your service can you give us like that can um, you give us some insight into so yeah, that quality control can you give us some insight into that 101 like what are yeah, some of so, the uh, yeah, so uh, with the 101s, uh, images are a huge one. So when you're on social media, such as Facebook, and you're scrolling, um, the attention span of a person is very relatively short. It's less than three seconds. Um, and so we we have images in our posting guidelines. So you must have images, like minimum of one. And we have that in the guidelines because we want to be able to capture people's attention while they're doing that quick scroll through their social media feed. Um, otherwise, uh, things that can be a bit too text heavy with no images does not do uh, such a good job of uh, capturing people's attention. Um, the second thing that we have in our posting guidelines is a description, of course. You know, what's the point of just chucking an image up with no caption or text? Um, and so we, part of our guidelines is you must state, you know, what your what you do, uh, what you're trying to sell and things like that. And even a location is handy because there are people that constantly ask, where are you located? Um, so that's in there as well, just to capture, pe capture people's attention. Um, and then the third thing is in the posting guidelines. Uh, so what do we got? Images, description and links. So contact links, uh, pretty straightforward. Uh, so we, people want a method of contact. So you've captured them in, you've drawn them in with your image. Now they're um, drawn to read your caption, your text that you've chucked in there. Um, now seal the deal with how do they proceed and by having your methods of contacts in there enables people to have that smooth user experience of going straight over to your platform. Um, rather than if, you know, if people have to type in the comments, uh, where are you located? Or if they have to write, uh, how do I get in contact with you? It discourages people from uh, going through that whole transaction process. Mm. And so we have those three things in there um, to help with that user experience being as easy as possible and driving people straight to your website or your platform or whatever it may be. Really cool. It seems like really, really simple 101, but I, it'd be amazing how many people kind of forget those things along the way. Mm. Is, can, you, can you talk about what else you've, what else you've learned for the many, the many New Zealand businesses, the many businesses that you've helped reach this market, what have what have been some of the things that have worked? Whether it's a tone, um, you know, the the types of uh, images, that kind of thing. Can you can you talk more about just the extra kind of stuff that that really? Yeah, helps? yeah, definitely. Like I would love to. Whenever I get posts, so obviously I see the back end and I see all of the posts we have to decline. Um, but I also see posts that we approved that I would have, that I sometimes think, oh, if you had it done that, if you had done that, you know, it would have done way much better. Um, and so those small things that people can tune or just get better at. And I mean, like I was saying earlier, it's a formula. So it's something that you have to constantly test. And um, I tell people, you know, some people are lucky. They post once and they get huge success. You know, they go viral. Some people it takes the third or fourth grow before their post blows up. Um, and I mean, it's just part of testing the formula um, against Facebook's algorithm and all of the timing things that that comes to play. But the things that you can tweak are the types of images you use, obviously. So 
higher resolution images just make total sense. You know, uh, we prohibit people from using screenshots because they're quite they're quite poor quality. Nobody wants to see how much charger level you have left on your phone, things like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and things like storytelling. So that's a huge one. And um, so I'm constantly telling people, if you want your post to do more well, people really resonate with your journey and your storytelling. Mm. So I ask people to try and capture a bit of their story um, and a bit of vulnerability within their captions and their texts, just to draw people in. Um, but also there's, there's no harm in that as well. Like the most successful posts I've seen have been the ones that have that essence of vulnerability and that storytelling saying, this is my journey. This is how bad COVID impacted me, but this is what I'm doing about it. Um, so yeah, that storytelling uh, element is really powerful. Um, and yeah, the members in the group seem to respond to that stuff really well. So it's like storytelling. Um, <laughs> other things to include is obviously just, um, you wouldn't think so, but just the way you format pictures, like the sizing as well. Like if you have squared images, so as you know, you can get the, the squared images, but also you can get the higher ones, the horizontal, the vertical. Um, depending on how you, uh, what order you post those, Facebook does this weird formatting um, and that can actually cut some of your images out, reduce the level of quality and actually make your, your post look, well, your post perceived to be a different way that you're trying to achieve. Um, and so um, I always encourage people to try and square their images. And if they can't, then try and figure out by posting somewhere else the best way to uh, format their post with the images. Like if you've got a vertical banner, you can chuck it that way and then chuck some squares in it like, yeah, Facebook does the formatting. Um, yeah, those things matter though um, and can be the difference between your post going viral and your post having okay engagement. Um, but like I said, it's all a formula. Um, but the most powerful thing that I've seen come, come through the group is, and the most successful definitely has to be the storytelling element. Mm. So, yeah. It's interesting when you're talking about the storytelling and the journey and the even the vulnerability, like I think about the fact that we're talking about your story and your journey and talking about those vulnerable moments as well. Do you think there's, is there a lesson in that even beyond uh, selling on Facebook, but just as a, as a thing, like if we, if we got in touch more with our vulnerability and our journey and our story and use that, uh, would that help us in other aspects of life as well and where we want to get to? absolutely i think it will i think it will change a lot of things in our society if we were just more vulnerable and transparent um i mean we are we are literally all humans <laughs> like nothing that you go like everything you go through i'm guaranteed somebody else has also and can can empathize with that and so that that vulnerability is really really important um and i mean how much more different would our society be our nation would be if we allowed vulnerability to be normalized um, and we removed all that stigma around it you know how much different would our suicide stats for men in this country be different and suicide stats for Maori Pacific and young people be different mm. um, if we were just um, encouraging more conversations around vul vulnerability but with that there's an opportunity for us to also learn as people as hu other humans how to respond to when people are being vulnerable um, because you know, uh, we can encourage people to be vulnerable as much as, as we want. You know, let's remove the stigma. Let's normalize the conversations. But if we are not prepped and open to receiving that vulnerability, we can respond in a way that can be just as damaging. And so, mm. Um, mm. 
Wow, this is interesting. What a quick segue from how to post on Facebook to <laughs> to this kind of thing. So, uh, but we're here now, so we'll we'll go we'll go with it. But that's such an interesting point about not only encouraging people to be vulnerable, but how we respond to that. Have you got any suggestions there? Like, you know, because so many of us, I mean, if we're not getting hammered by anxiety and uncertainty at the moment we certainly know people who are any any advice from your from your perspective in terms of how we be receptive to uh to that level of vulnerability yeah and it does take a bit of um like for myself for context and background for those who may be watching or listening like my background is youth and community development so i i've got a few years of experience in this and youth development in this space and even so much so um, I've done, I've got a, I've got a certificate, a first aid certificate in mental health and addiction. And so um, that's the thing, like training around this and mental health being more acknowledged, well, mental health is being more acknowledged. And so we're getting more access to resources such as a first aid certificate in mental health. And so that we can be able to learn these skills and things like that. Um, but when we are speaking or listening to somebody, the importance is obviously that listening component, um, not waiting for them to finish so that you can say what you've been waiting to say, but rather than listen, take it in, and then respond. Uh, and preferably responding with empathy and kindness and compassion would be great. Because <laughs> obviously anything else is, yeah. Um, but also what I have found really helpful is asking the person before, even during or after, they're, they're sharing um, whether they're looking for somebody to listen, mm. like just listen, or are they looking for somebody to listen and respond with advice or recommendations and support? Um, and that can be really, really helpful as well um, to determine what that person is, mm. um, yeah, where they're sitting at in terms of whether are they just lo- looking for somebody to listen or are they actually asking for help? Um, mm. From, yeah. from your. Then, Sorry, sorry, I shouldn't have jumped in there. Um, but from your experience, from your experience, uh, I mean, how? What is the power of just listening? Surely that goes. Even that just goes a long way, right? Absolutely, and I've found that when a person responds that they're just looking for somebody to listen, when they've received that, and that person has responded with just as they've requested, just listening, you find that actually at the end of that, that person will change their mind and be so encouraged that that person has listened graciously um, that they will then ask, actually, I do you have any advice or support or recommendations? Um, and yeah, that's a good place to go from as well. Listening and then you do it so well that somebody just actually, um, I wholeheartedly trust you now. Um, yeah, so... Would he? There's there's a couple of things. This kind of relates maybe to an overall kind of national psyche. But even when you were talking about, say, the default thing on Facebook about no Facebook groups about no self promotion, that's kind of interesting. And I was thinking that's a really New Zealand thing as well. Like we <laughs> we find it pretty hard to promote ourselves. Is there? And this is, I'm really clutching at straws, but do you think there is some link there between, you know, high levels of humility, um, reservedness, not not really promoting ourselves and this kind of internalized uh, vulnerability? Um, do you mean like our high level of tall, pop- tall poppy syndrome in New Zealand? Yeah. Because absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, I mean, absolutely. The tall poppy syndrome, man, in New Zealand, it's so bad. I mean, it, it's, I mean, it impacts me and probably yourself as well. Like, it's to the point in my life where, yeah, I acknowledge I'm probably a bit of a public figure now, but I find myself even stopping at the end of writing a post um, on my own social media feeds and being like, actually, this might be too much about, like, too much talking about myself. And And all I'm talking about is, like, this week on choice we've achieved this and that um but even even then I find myself a little bit hesitant to post things just because of the fear <laughs> that somebody is going someone is in New Zealand is going to um not appreciate me um celebrating my successes mm. <laughs> and finding offense on that um and so yeah it's pretty bad I mean it, it does um it does reflect our attitudes towards like it's definitely a key part of our attitudes towards mental health in this country as well like um you know we ask people to be vulnerable um and we ask people to you know celebrate these successes but also on the other hand when people do exactly that we are either not well equipped to respond appropriately um or when we do respond to people you know praising and celebrating these successes and things like that we're quick to chop them down mm -hmm. um so, yeah. So this so this situation that you find yourself in now, sometimes having to filter what you post and the success that you talk about, has this actually come from you being attacked for your success? Is that have you have you had cases where people have just shot you down? Um. So in my former life, <laughs> for context, um, I was a, polit a politician in Auckland, and I was. You could say I was um, trained is not the right word, um, but I was definitely taught to be cautious with what I post. Um, and I've learned a very good formula of how to post as well. I guess that plays into a lot of my knowledge in social media. Um, and a lot of that comes from being risk adverse as well. Like if you use the wrong type of word, somebody's going to point that word out, pull it out and you know have feedback on that particular word that you use um and so um yeah I guess in the past yeah obviously political life um being in that space is very toxic and um you're in the public eye and people are looking for looking at what you're saying and how you are presenting yourself and things like that and so yeah absolutely um and nowadays I try and tend to um like, yeah, nowadays I have a lot of anxiety towards social media, so much so that, yeah, like I said, I have hesitance to post on my own social feeds about my, my successes, my achievements, um, what I've been up to, um, but also anxiety towards, like, just getting involved in comment, comment threads in mm. the, with the anxiety that someone's going to reply and then I'm going to have to respond and there's going to be this back and forth. Um, yeah, so crazy <laughs> it is kind of crazy and this and even this conversation now it seems like one side of a double-sided kind of coin or a double-sided sword even but you know there's a lot of and you've got even like the social dilemma and people talking about um the nefarious nature of uh our relationship with social media but then when you look at your what you've done with choice and what you've done you've created opportunity for many new zealand businesses so it's like you know there are there are well, the, the two sides to it. How do you reconcile that? And how do you reconcile that personally? Yeah, absolutely. Like, um, yeah, as you say, choice 
the Facebook group, what it's doing for businesses has been incredible um, and is definitely a pro of social media. But there is just so much else to it um, that plays into our own lives as well. Um, like, obviously, my life is not just restricted to a Facebook group. But, um, I have other means in which I'm connected in the social media space that, um, yeah, that is not so pro, not so positive. Um, yeah, it's a hard one. Um, back in the days of my political life, um, when it got, like, really bad, um, I would actually like just uninstall the fa- the mm. apps instagram and facebook from my devices and take like a three-day hiatus um to just recuperate until i i, I guess until my wider my morale was boosted again mm. uh, and had enough energy and courage to go back on i just stay and i gotta say i stay clear of twitter like i have a twitter account that i have not checked on for um and a long time and that's just because i don't have the ability to even wrap my head around how quickly things move in the Twitter space, mm. um, all these social movements and political political discussions just gives me so much anxiety mm. that I I just can't even tackle Twitter anymore. So that one's a loss. <laughs> so at the moment, all I can healthily health all I can deal with in a healthy way is uh, Facebook. Um, and only more so recently have I started to, uh, I guess, adopt Instagram. But even then, that's kind of a reach for me um, mentally um, because it just there's just so much to manage and there's just so much going on to, on two platforms. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I guess to answer your question, um, I know my limits. I know what spaces to avoid to ensure that I am protecting uh, my self <laughs> my mental space and things like that and so obviously twitter out of there um and facebook you know I, I try as much as possible to have a healthy relationship with that um although not so much lately but <laughs> but um prior to the facebook group being massive you know i try to have um yeah try to not allow it to take over my life but now it's i guess it's part of my life because it's my job <laughs> What about what about TikTok? Are we going to see you skateboarding down a street with ocean spray? <laughs> Only if they give me a ute and some ocean spray as well. But um, I'm not on TikTok as well, and it's not because um, it's another platform. It's because I don't like dancing. I can't dance. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's the reason why I've stayed clear of that one. Yeah. What, what was the what was the calling into politics for mm-hmm. you? Um, the calling into politics was um, seeing a need and wanting to serve people. Um, so servant leadership is a big, big component of my life. Um, cultural elements come into play in there. So I'm Sam- I'm half Samoan um, and we're huge on servant leadership. You know, it's, it's embedded in our lifestyle and our culture, the way in which we serve our family and our people. Um, um, and so, yeah, from um, from a young age and from a young age, I got into murals. Like I just wanted to serve my community. That's where politics started, serving my community. Um, and I did that through getting involved with um, the odd mural painting around my community here and there. So I live in, 
I live in Mandela. There was a time in which there was a lot, a lot of graffiti everywhere. And so we were painting a lot of buildings, painting a lot of walls, blank walls and things like that. And so um, um, I tend to think, well, I used to think, <laughs> not so much these days. Um, I was quite heavily into art and painting. Um, um, I still think I have a knack for it. I haven't touched the paintbrush in a while though. But um, yeah, so I got into serving my community through just painting murals and things like that. Um, and then found myself uh, work going from there to another tier, another tier like getting involved with local uh, youth organizations. So participating locally in civic life and things like that. So actually being an active member in my community. Um, and then it just got to the point where, um, yeah, I just thought, you know what? I love this community so much, Manirewa, where I was raised, educated, still live here, still live here. <laughs> um, I just love this community so much that actually I see a need and that need is I'm Samoan, I'm a Pacific person. We have one of the highest Pacific populations in Auckland and yet there are no Pacific people on the local board, which is where the, de the, decisions, the decisions that will impact these people around me, my friends and family um, every day are being decided by these eight people who sit on this board for three years. And there's no Pacific person on there, nor is there a young person as well. And um, Manirewa, out of the 21 local boards in Auckland, we have the youngest uh, population as well. Um, high number of children and young people in Manirewa alone um, out of all of the other local boards in Auckland. And so I saw a need. We need a young person and we need a Pacific person on that board. Um, and so, yeah, long story short, I stood in the elections um, and was elected. Um, I got the last seat, which was great. So there was eight seats and I came eighth place, which was awesome. Um, and yeah, I was 20 when I got elected. So I campaigned when I was 19 um, and then had my birthday and then won my election. Um, just as a 20, yeah. Um, and so I was the first Samoan or first Pacific person uh, to be elected to the Manirewa local board. Um, but I was also the youngest on the board by a good, <laughs> must have been a good 30 or 40 years. Um, and I took huge, like I took that on my shoulders hugely. That was a huge responsibility for me to carry those those two um, those two groups with me. So, yeah. How was and how was the experience? How was the like? Were you listened to? Did you do, do you feel like you were penalised at all because of your age, or or was it a an embracing kind of thing? It was an embracing kind of thing. Um, Auckland Council is is uh, doing well in trying to embrace young people in this space, but a lot more needs, a lot more work and frameworks and policies need to be put in place to enable us to not only come in here, but to be able to stay here and flourish, like to be elected is one thing, but for me to stay in this space in a healthy manner and not be consumed by the toxic nature um, and uh, things like that, that comes with being in this space as a young person. Yeah, a lot more needs to be done. Um, like I said, I only stayed there for one term, which was three years. And I think I aged about 40 years by the end of it. Like when I came out at the end of the, the three years, I felt 40. Um, and I had a few gray hairs as well. But um, yeah, they're, they're, they're trying. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah, definitely.
I don't want to dwell on the on on toxic things, but do you think? I mean, how do we? What do we need to shift? Because we, if if you've got um, if you've got people that really care about the communities that are driven by uh, servant leadership, you know, isn't that great? Why 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 is that surrounded by, you know, as you say, a little bit of the tall poppy things and toxic stuff? What I mean, what do we need to do as a as a society to get the best people into these positions and support them? Mm, absolutely, a huge attitude shift. Um, and I'm no policymaker, <laughs> not anymore anyway. And so I, um, I, I can't say, you know, I can't speak too much to what I think needs to change. But what I have identified is that there needs to be a huge attitude change towards, um, yeah, just, just our leaders, our community leaders, um, even those that are up and coming into the space. Um, we need to support more young people like really wrap around them like when we see a young person that has a lot of potential uh we should really be wrapping around them um and lifting them up empowering them supporting them connecting with them um so that they can go on and flourish um yeah there's a lot to it eh? um i think there's always going to be a toxic culture in whatever industry um and all we can do i guess uh, from a non-policy view until somebody figures out your answer <laughs> from a non-policy view probably um, continuing to invest in resources and things that enable us to build our resilience in this space uh, you know other community leaders like myself and I'm not necessarily talking about political figures I'm just talking about community leaders your grassroots leaders mm. who are um, leading community houses and giving out a thousand food parcels every day um, and are living off, you know, minimum wage or sometimes not even paying themselves so that they can continue to give more food parcels out. Like we really should be investing in these types of people in these types of organizations um, who are on the ground doing this type of work, but also we should be wrapping around them so that they have resilience um, to stay in this space. Because um, burnout, burnout is huge in this in, in youth and community development you know um it takes a certain type of person to stay in community and youth development um but not only to stay but to continue to rise to the challenges because <laughs> let me tell you on the ground <laughs> it's it's a harsh reality there is so much uh poverty and just yeah, the need is huge out here. And so it takes a certain type of person and yeah, yeah, you need to support them more. Yeah, and, and you're a really interesting example of that because uh, I mean, on so many levels, like you are, you, you are a shining light and inspiration to people in your community. Um, you've gone and you've created opportunity and you've created, I mean, you've, you've been of service within politics and are still in service outside of politics. So you obviously don't need the political element to be able to make a change to your community and even the wider community. But would you ever go back into politics, do you think? Um, when I have the energy. <laughs> um, as I said, like um, that, that one term that I spent, that three years, you know, I spent my, my ages 20, 21 and 22 in local government. That was so exhausting. Um, and it was it was hard because um although we're technically part-timers 
Um, I mean, that's how we set up with subcontractors that are subcontracted part-time. And so we get a part-time remuneration. Um, I had to have a full-time job on the side while trying to balance my political responsibilities as an elected member. And that, that really like plays on you because that's a lot of things to carry and to be responsible for, you know, um, while trying to keep a roof over your head. And so it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier, you know, if we're going to bring people into the space, we need, need to be well equipped to be able to re remunerate them appropriately, um, mm. but also to be able to support them so that they not only can enter this space, but they can stay here and be healthy here um, and healthy enough that they can make the best decisions. You know, if we're bringing people in and burning them out really quickly, what kind of person, what kind of decisions would that person burnt out be making? You know what I mean? Mm. Um, so, and these are people that are responsible for our, our communities. Um, yeah, so, um, yeah, I'm not too sure. Um, I'm still recuperating. That's what I, that's my theory right now. <laughs> still recovering from those three years. <laughs> All right. Now you mentioned you mentioned uh, so having to having to hold down uh, another job while doing that. Can you can you give me some advice? Because journalism is pretty tough at the moment, so I might need another side hustle. Um, but are there any opportunities? Are there any areas like within the from all the businesses and the products that you've uh, that you've been working with and that that uh, you've been helping? Are there any gaps? Are there any offer? I mean, I can paint a little bit. I'm pretty good at bit of. <laughs> Uh, I, I don't know. I could maybe make some vases or something. Is there any any areas <laughs> of missed opportunity that that you think would be uh, would be a great product or a great business or a great service? Yeah, um, I'm not too sure. Eh? Like, um, what what I've seen that are really popular in the group have been things that are pop culture, um, and like for example. Um, there was somebody that posted a Darth Vader um, fire thing. Oh, <laughs> I, I saw that. That's cool. <laughs> um, like things that are like Marvel cakes and things like that are always popular. Um, uh, things that are starting to pop up as well. And I guess it's just kind of a reflection as to like what, like people's um, affordability nowadays. That's why we've seen the rise of buy now, pay later. But subscription boxes are a thing that are starting to come up again. You know, we, we've had them, they've been around for ages, but um, people are branching out into like uh, subscription boxes that have punnets. You know, you, you might be a busy person and um, you, you want to have a garden, but it's just something you can't keep on top of. A monthly subscription box will come to your door with six punnets of microgreens that you can um, plant, you know, things like that. Um, yeah, I'm not too sure. And I guess depending on how this election goes, there could be an opening in um, the cannabis industry for you, mate. <laughs> I didn't want to bring that up, but I do have a little bit of experience there. So, uh... Oh, you said it, not me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, now speaking of uh, talking freely, and I mean, this is a total uh, tall poppy free zone. Um, but talk about that success. Talk about some of the numbers like with the website. Um I don't know. Do you want to? Do you want to? Can you give us a rundown of like the sales that you're doing now, the number of businesses that you've got on board? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let me pull from my brain. Um, so just to build some context of timeframes. So although the Facebook group has been around since April, so six months now, the website and the rebranding wasn't done until 
beginning of August. So last day of July, beginning of August. Um, so what is that? <laughs> what month is it? Uh, three months, I guess. So we're just under three months. Um, last month alone, we did uh, 133,000 site visits um, to choice.co.nz. Um, I can't tell you how many people are in that, like visiting that Facebook group every day because, you know, mm. um, don't have those insights. But um, last month we did, oh gosh, must have been 200 no sorry my mind's gone blank but i know that um overall since we launched since launching in end of july we've done we've done just over three hundred thousand dollars um in sales on the platform and for those listening and watching that's not three hundred thousand dollars in my bank account (laughs) far from it (laughs) that's uh three hundred thousand dollars of transactions that have taken place on choice.co.nz um yeah and so that's that's all, all that's in the pockets of all of those small businesses that are on our platform. Um, we have over 2,000 vendors on our website, uh, so 2,000 shops, um, and over 10,000 products as well. Um, so a lot of products on there. Um, and as we, uh, as we speak, we are trying to build version two. So as with any business, you launch an MVP, your minimal viable product, and what the choice you see now is the choice uh it's the first choice you know um i i am adding this in because you know uh people people are expects are expecting a luxury experience from the get-go but the reality is with any startup you got to launch an mvp and from there you build on it you know the trade me you see today wasn't the trade me they started off with um same with etsy amazon any of those other e-commerce platforms and so we still got a lot more work to do and we're very aware of that but with that we need resources and we need time and we need you know everything else that comes with it so a lot more work to do that's amazing that's amazing what what an mvp though you know to have what three hundred thousand dollars uh a business through uh was it ten thousand products yeah over ten thousand products amazing that's amazing so well congratulations thank you yeah so a lot more work to do and i'm looking forward to um yeah the next progression the next version of choice um and how we continue to build on that and grow um and all of the fancy luxurious um plugins and things we can add to the website to make the user experience much more much more better so uh, and you know i you don't have to answer if it's too sensitive but it seems like there's there's maybe a little bit too particularly if you're if you're wanting to buy your first home it seems in this uh there's maybe a little bit too much servant in the servant leadership thing because if you're (laughs) if everything is going to the businesses i mean how does it work for you how are you going to how are you going to monetize things for yourself and actually uh you know be able to survive and and do what you need to do yeah well um you're absolutely right like this is a this is a business at the end of the day we need to be sustainable i need to keep money on you know roof over my head and food on my table <laughs> just as much as everyone else um and so um yeah i had to leave my job at the end of july and um, my full-time job might i add um so and and that's been hugely that's impacted me hugely financially um as i have a very supportive partner who i'm living off um, but and um, in terms of making this business sustainable, not only for the business and, the, and everyone else, but for myself as well, at the moment, and we've always been transparent about this, 
Uh, Monday to Friday, we have live streams at 7 p.m. with one business. Um, and if you're on that live stream, we charge 20% for any 20% commission from any sales that you make as a result of that live stream. So that's our only revenue model at the moment. We do have some that we've planned and hope to hope to implement uh, down the road. But our main priority at the moment is securing partnerships and investments so that we can continue to um, keep things as low cost as possible. Um, and so we have secured some partnerships, some really exciting ones actually. Um, yeah, so looking forward to those. And um, yeah, I guess in terms of revenue models, yeah, investments, partnerships, um, continue to, continuing to charge commission on the lives um, and a few other things that I have to keep secret. <laughs> you can't do you can't do that. You can't give that sort of smile and then say I can't. <laughs> I've got. <laughs> All right, all right. One last question because you're busy. But what? Uh, actually, it's a question to help me with my job. But is there a question that you would like to ask uh, the next person that I interview? I don't know who it would be, but. Yeah, I guess um, my question for the next person that you're going to interview, whoever that may be, um, would be, what has been your biggest learning for, two, uh, for, for this year, for 2020? Um, and what do you hope to uh, take into 2021? Wow, that's really cool. That's cool. Can I ask you that? <laughs> yes, you can, I guess. Um, nah, my biggest learning for this year have, has been... Um, Oh gosh, so many things, obviously, as you said in the beginning, um, just pivoted into a different universe. <laughs> so I've learned a lot of things. Um, gosh, I guess, um, yeah, just be strategic. Um, one of my learnings that I've had from a mentor is, you know, you always hear that thing, trust your gut, but actually, what we need to do is be be strategic, and sometimes trusting our gut is not not strategic. Um, so, be more strategic with our decisions. Um, and another learning as well, which is you know real cliche, everyone says it, but you can't please everyone. You can't win them all, um, and that's just the rea the reality that I'm facing now. Is you know, um, with all of these changes, um, and and especially with the rebrand, actually with from going from New Zealand made products to choices, there's some, a little bit of an uproar with a small majority, um, minority of people, but um, that's the reality. We can't please everybody. Um, I can't win them all over um, and I can't expect them all to respond with compassion um, and things like that, as I was talking about earlier. So mm. yeah, what I'm taking into next year is to just continue to, um, yeah, just continue to go with the go with the flow of things, um, build on on the momentum. Um, and I, I'm trying to put it into words, but I don't have any fancy words for it. But um, one of my one of my other biggest learnings, which I'm trying to live by now, is like last year when I lost my re-election into Auckland Council, and that's a little disclaimer. I didn't say that earlier. <laughs> I lost my re-election into Auckland Council, which is why I left politics. Um, at the time I was devastated and I thought my identity was was being a politician, was built into being a community leader, but actually I was a whole bunch of other things. I was an entrepreneur, an innovator, I was a um, 
I was a youth leader. I was, you know, all of these other things. Um, and I had built my identity into, um, yeah, being a political, like a politician, built it into my job essentially. Mm. And so when I lost that, I felt like I had lost my identity because I had built my identity into my job. Um, but in actual fact, fact, I've been on a big learning journey, relearning about who I am and all of the other things that make up me, not just my job. Um, and so um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to put into words, but essentially when I lost that election, I thought that was the end. I'm just going to get a, a, a job, just cruise about at McDonald's, <laughs> you know, <laughs> just, just, you know, just do some normal people things um, and nothing extraordinary is ever going to happen again. Um, but in actual fact, um, I guess it's a little bit like talking about the faith walk, you know, you don't, you don't know what's coming down the road. Um, I couldn't have predict, predicted six months later as I was sitting in my bedroom crying that I had lost my election that six months later I'll have New Zealand's largest Facebook page, Facebook group. Um, and so, yeah, I've just been trying to put that, I've just been trying to like put that into words and um, reflect on, on that journey of not being able to predict anything really. It doesn't make sense. So yeah. I don't know what to expect next year. Um, but I can just do my best and hope mm. that in six, another six months time, you know, last six months I was, uh, well, I mean, last October I was, uh, just lost my election. I, maybe next October I'll be millionaire like you, Andre. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or marijuana cultivator like me. <laughs> in 2021 um that's an i that's an interesting thing i've just got one more question from that though but i think so many people are going to be grappling with that i think it's a, such an interesting point this concept of identity being wrapped in what you do and that you know that kind of connection there would you have any advice for people who are you know who are dealing with exactly that thing now they might have lost a, an amazing job uh because of you know the economic uh, um, issues that we're, that we're all going through but what advice would you give to someone who is kind of dealing with that that identity connection with their, with their career um, I'm not too sure and if anyone has the answer to that can they tell me as well <laughs> I need the answer to but all I can say is from my own experience and from my own learnings in what has been just a year since losing my um re-election is that yeah i guess um we need to start separating our identity away from our our jobs or our career like that's something we do but it's not who we are if that makes sense mm. we are all of these other things we are a sister we are a brother we are a cousin we are a daughter um we are an artist we are a painter we're a musician, but we're not our job. We're not a, you know, I, 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 I was a politician, but it's not my identity. Um, I'm all of these other things. Um, and that's just something that I'm trying to, and something that I continue to grow, go through as well and make sure that I'm conscious of is not to attach my identity to, um, to my career and things like that. Because there will be many more. We, we'll go, we go through many, many changes in our lives and um, yeah, 